Dude, it's been a while. Been, I feel like we're like, uh, we haven't done a round of in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, it's been, obviously we covered some, did some specific episodes, not roundups around friend tech. That was last week. We had a regulatory pod and, um, I mean, I think th- there's been some activity, but not a ton, I would say. But I think we, we have a good, good content and material to talk about during this, this roundup. For permissions. All right, man. Here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about friend tech. We did that episode with Ansem that I thought mm-hmm. was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's been a couple of days since then, so I just want to do a quick update there. Uh, we have Tornado Cash. Uh, then there's uh, an interesting collaboration between Solana and Shopify that happened, and then Coinbase made an investment in Circle, and that has some implications for USDC. Um, we can, so we'll try to talk about all that. We'll see if we get to it. First thing is um, friend tech. I'd love to just get your Mm-hmm. not before we look at dune before we look at the transaction data and all that kind of stuff would love to just get your like thoughts on <clears throat> that episode and the last two days mm-hmm. and if you've thought more about that yeah i thought it was a good episode it forced me to think about um kind of whole two conflicting ideas at once in my head on one and then i looked at the comments and the feedback from people and um a lot of people reached out Said, oh, I would have expected you to go on there. And uh, I still, a part of me, like, first of all, I think it's very positive uh, from an onboarding perspective, from a usability perspective. It's gotten a lot of traction, over 100,000 users. Um, I think you were the one that mentioned this, but um, the flow, of course, it's on base. And I'm very bullish on base as being a, a very pos- net positive for this space. But the it sounds to me like, and I haven't gone through it, but a lot of the episode, I wanted to get your thoughts on how easy it was to get initiated, to bridge, and to get started. And and that's really important because um, I think uh, that is um, in and of itself really positive that now we are getting closer and closer to, even before account abstraction, the state of the world where it's just really easy to use these apps. Um, putting aside my thoughts around, is it good or bad around betting and having a, you know, speculating on influencers, like, um, uh, like, is it the right implementation of that? I'm not sure. I actually lean negative on that, but the idea of, and I think you and I both agree on this, which is, it feels like the relationship between the content creator and their fan base ought to be reinvented in a more direct, mm. intimate way. I'm not sure this is the right implementation. And I reference things like Steemit and BitCloud and other prior iterations of that and compared it to stablecoins. Fascinating, but don't work really. Um, or haven't. Not, not stablecoins, algorithmic stablecoins. Algorithmic yeah, stablecoins, yeah. yes. But yeah, uh, but yeah look, I... Um, I'll pause in a minute, but I think NetNet, I, I still haven't signed up. Uh, I'm very curious in terms of the activity that's happening there. And uh, you shared a Dune dashboard right before this episode, and we'll cover that here. But yeah, um, but yeah you know, that's uh, – so so that's my, my thinking. Yeah. The biggest breakthrough for me has been um, it feels like the future of connection with um, – like fan connection with uh, with either artists or celebs or even just like – founders that you enjoy following and and other people and things like that like it's really fun to be in like i don't know like 
in Rob, you know, like Rob Leshner's chat, for example, like chilling in Leshner's chat and people are just like talking about different things. And his chat is like very focused on just like kind of shooting the shit about news. And then you go into like disclosures chat and there's only 50 people in disclosures chat. And he's like showing a behind the scenes of like how he just made this song. And it's really cool. And then you go into someone else's chat and you're like, they're doing like trading strategies. And I'm like, nah, I don't really care about the trading strategies. Like I'm going to sell, I'm going to like sell this, this now they don't call them shares. Mm -hmm. They call them keys. Um, Keys, right keys so I, yeah. I i don't know like is a friend tech the future of like that connection is that the platform i have no idea but it does feel like we've it there's this unlock about connecting mm-hmm. with fans and i'm yeah, yeah it's made me think about like you know there are some baseball players there's some football players some basketball players some artists that i would love if they got on the platform i would buy their keys instantly not because i think their price is going to go up um, which was my original thought of like, Clearly, oh, this allows you to go to. long on people that you enjoy. It's actually this mm-hmm. access point that um, yeah. things like Patreon and I, I always, I think, I still think of OnlyFans as like just like this porn platform still, but like I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's evolved into more than that. But like, I don't think either Patreon yeah, or Patreon. OnlyFans have have nailed that. And um, hugely yeah. successful businesses, by the way. <laughs> hugely, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like the the access thing is is very interesting, um, and so uh, one of the things that was brought up during the episode was, and I asked the question like, what what would be the things that you would change? And it sounds like video and general chat because right now the chat is direct only, right? Like you don't have access to it's like not an open chat. Uh, between all the key holders and the that's the, the biggest owner, problem of the whole platform right, right now is that you have to yeah. and there's this like workaround which is um people are basically saying so you'll ask a question in my chat or you'll say hey like what it, you know you'll ask some question and uh, i have to say like hey santi just asked this question quote and then i respond to it mm-hmm. so yeah i actually yeah. saw so so I've, i have the keys to uh to some of our to some blockworks people and um mm-hmm. i saw one of our analysts this guy matt he uh he got this question it was like, you know, he did the retweet quote thing. He's like, hey, who's your fi- who, uh Who do you like more, Mike or Jason? I was like, oh, <laughs> he's not going to answer that, is he? And sure enough, he answered it. But he, I mean, it was a smart move. He, he said, he said he likes both of us. So uh, that was, right. uh, I was like, all right, you passed that test. But it did get me thinking. I was like, man, like, mm-hmm. what else are people saying about Blockworks on here? Or like, what's happening in mm-hmm. these like private chats, you know? So it, got, yeah. it did get me thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The thing that gives me pause is sort of the, unlike other platforms like Patreon, is this kind of price, constant price feed, and the implications that it may have on just, uh, you know, thinking of worth. Uh, I mean, certainly there's a lot of criticism on social media. That social media has created more anxiety uh, for folks and, is this is this net positive? In many ways, it is. Uh, I could see in a world where some people become really obsessed with the price and demoralized, if you will, uh, in a similar manner as NFT collections, right, have really gone down in, in value. Um, I think technology is neutral, but certainly, you know, it doesn't feel good. It feels great if your price goes up. Let's just be honest. It feels probably doesn't feel as good if your price crashes. Um, and so, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to observe. I, I've been, I tweeted out and said, I would love to see a correlation between like the number of followers in other platforms, particularly Twitter and how that is translated into mm. the price of the key at, at um, on Frentech. Cause 
as you pointed out in the episode, there are certain people that don't have many followers on Twitter, but on Frentech, they are actually widely popular. I think it's and, influence. People, I think yeah. the price, I think there's a strong correlation between what people perceive someone's influence and power in their space to be, and then right. they're right. less of their followers. Which so. it's interesting because as we've known on some of the traditional platforms, like there's a lot of bots historically people have paid for followers and so it is um this certainly is more a real um you know it's a market right and so it's it's it there's more there's money behind it so you understand true influence i guess and interest in a particular person um and it allows for i mean i guess the upside case is that it would allow up and coming people that are putting out good content or just generally to be discovered uh, because markets tend to be way more efficient in discovering value, right? And, and right. that the gap between real value and discoverability like really compresses, right? And so, whereas in social media platforms, traditionally, like there's, there's a lot of accounts that you're like, well, probably, <laughs> probably paid for those. Um, or there are a bunch of bots. And so, hmm. um, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, the other, so you yeah. said, um, it gets you excited when, you know, your price goes up or maybe it gets you demoralized when your price goes down. You know, the, actually I had an interesting thing happen this morning, which is the, every Friday they give out the airdrop points. So the point, these points that are okay. off chain, but will eventually impact an airdrop. And, uh, you know, I really haven't been playing with this app to get an airdrop. Like that hasn't even crossed my mind really. Mm-hmm. However, this morning I didn't get any points. And I was kind of pissed off, right? I was kind of mm-hmm. pissed off because I was like, oh, I've been, you know, I've been using this app a lot. Why didn't I get any points? And it's interesting to see. I've only thought of airdrop, like airdrops and points and these kind of things as like positive reinforcement mechanisms. I've never thought about them actually as negative reinforcement mechanisms where you might have some good users, but if they didn't get what they feel is their worth, then it actually disincentivizes them to use it. So anyways, we can look at this Dune chart. I mean, these transactions have uh, completely fallen off the table. So if you look at, before August 18th, transactions were kind of sitting around 1,500 a day. By uh, August 21st, they had peaked at 38,000 transactions in a day. Uh, mm-hmm. That chart is now down only since mm-hmm. uh, since the 21st, uh, and they are now down to 2,000 transactions, almost back to the original levels. So these are yeah. some, I mean, just very bearish charts, I would say. But you know, sellers is catching up to buyers. Um, money that ha- went into the platform is now streaming out of the platform. Um, is that uh, okay? In, uh, this well, is not. This is actually inflow. That's just inflows. Per day. Inflows continue to be positive, but what's the outflow? Like the net, the net flow is that negative? Um, no, I think it's still. I think it's still, still positive. positive, right? Yeah. yeah. So look, I mean, I think still money is coming in. And when I say money, it's more like users are coming in, um, although at a slower rate. Yeah. And what's interesting is total protocol fees is what uh, you were just showing it, but it's north of three million or so. A portion of which it gets shared with uh, the the key owner. Um, some people like three point five million. Yeah. Three point five million. Um, and, and a port that's aggregate that gets split amongst the protocol developers 
the team and, and then the key holder, right? So folks like Kobe have made uh, 80 ETH or so, I think you were saying the episode. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. anyways, yeah. it'll be interesting yeah. to follow it. Yeah, overall, I mean, the this is um, zooming out a little bit. Uh, obviously, base, people should go listen to. There's two episodes that we've recorded with Jesse, who's one of the lead kind of leaders uh, within Coinbase uh, to spearhead that effort. And um, we recorded the second one right before they were launching and this kind of uh, on-chain summer. And base is part of that where it's it's been getting a lot of traction. And so that's good to see, you know. Um, is this the... Uh, you know, just generally, my 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 thinking is that base is going to be incredibly positive for the space. It will allow people to venture into this world in a um, and a, you know, I'm I'm looking at over 100 million users of Coinbase um, that potentially are going to venture into um, you know yeah. Web three and have a, applications um, and access that. So. Uh, that for me is really the most important thing and something that I will continue to monitor and probably we'll talk in this, in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Base just hit 16 transactions a second surpassed ETH. Pretty remarkable. I mean, hats off to the base team, right? A week or two after or however long it's been live, um, they're already passed ETH. So hats off. Where do you want to go next? Um, let's talk tornado, I think. Yeah. That's a development that came out yesterday. We're recording today, Thursday. So that was Wednesday. Yeah, so um, the update for folks, I can share it right here. DOJ just arrested Tornado Cash co-founder Roman Storm uh, and a couple, a couple other folks were involved um, in, in this piece. I don't know if you were able to read the piece, but mm-hmm. uh, and o, there are OFAC sanctions against uh, Roman Semenov as well. Um, the two, let me just read some of the BlockWorks piece. Two co-founders of Tornado Cash were charged with U.S. federal money laundering and sanctions violations on Wednesday. One of the co-founders, Roman Semenov, was additionally added to the Office of Foreign Assets Controls, uh, specially designated nationals list. Roman Storm, who's the other co-founder, was uh, they're both deemed responsible for laundering upwards of one billion dollars in criminal proceeds through the mixing service, which if you guys haven't used Tornado before, it's this mixing service. Um, And uh, yeah, that's that. I mean, that's kind of the update. I. The first important thing I think to understand is that the the U.S. government only attributed seven percent of the activity in tornado cash to illegal activity. They continue to kind of make this claim in the piece that uh, the the quote unquote majority is illicit, but they only attribute seven percent of the activity in tornado cash to illegal activity. And so then I think that begs the question: Well, what are they really going after here? What what why is this? Why are they really going after this if it's ninety three percent is legal activity. And I right. think the key to the government's argument here, uh, this account, Seth for, Seth for Privacy, had a great thread on it. Um, the key to the government's argument now is, is profit instead of custody. Their previous key argument in, in precedent cases was, was about the custody of these funds. Now it's about the profit. And uh, there was this piece where they talked about uh, the, the TORN token, the Tornado Cash token. And I think without TORN, I doubt there's a case to be made at all here. Um, and I think this is a, I think this case is kind of turning from, you know, custody and illegal activity. And they've started to realize that maybe there hasn't been as much illegal activity happening on this platform as they once thought. Uh, I think the court mm-hmm. is now going to start to focus on, on the profit motives as there was this yep. kind of, you know, maybe as they would call it clear profit motive at stake for the founders indicted here. So I don't know. I think it's a pivotal moment here. I think it's a real shame. I don't, I'm, I'm sure 
I'll get some some backlash for this, but I think it's a real shame to go after Tornado Cash. And I think that this, I would call it neutral tech, um, should be able to remain standing. And I think that you should go after the bad actors. You shouldn't go after the platforms that enable the bad actors. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. we're seeing another, this is Napster 2.0. This is, this mm-hmm. is um, you know, like uh, yeah. Ross Ulbricht all over again. Like this is, I, I think we... I think we're going after the wrong folks here. I agree. It's a very pivotal moment in terms of privacy, which is, you know, fundamental, you know, right in my, in my mind. And, um, there's all, there's a couple of things that people way smarter than I have commented and brought attention to. One is the idea between, uh, you know, developing code and publishing code and the implications that that may have, or historically it hasn't had. Um, and this obviously is not an example of that precedent. Um, and the, the nuance here is that, you know, these developers, they, they, they sort of burned the keys, um, at some point. And then, you know, what for people, you know, that just sort of means that they, they're not able to take down the protocol. Like once you burn the keys, like it's out in the wild, like you've deployed this working thing and it's just going to live on forever. And so you don't have control over making modifications. No one can really kind of force your hand. Um, but then there are some arguments that like they, they've thought about changing the front end and making some things like that was, I think a big part of what I will think be what gets argued in court, um, you know, their motive and their intention and what they could have or could have not done because they, you know, one point spurned the keys. So that was going to be interesting to follow. Um, you know, some folks were pretty witty and just framing an analogy saying, Hey, messaging services or car developers. Okay. Well, there's, <laughs> you know, uh, certain illicit activity happens and people are using messaging services to communicate. Does that make you liable? If you develop a car and cars get used by, you know, criminals, does that also make you liable? like, where, where does it stop? I think a big part of going back to your original comment that, uh, you know, that the 6% number is low is a lot of it in part of enabling what is a very clear enemy of, of the state, which is in the OFAC sanctions, which is North Korea. Like the Lazarus group has been behind very large hacks of certain protocols um, like Ronin and a few others. And they've, they've used Tornado to kind of launder these funds. And I think that's, uh, that's if I, in my thinking, that's probably the biggest issue here, which is you're, you're basically, you know, have allowed a clear enemy of the state to, to use a piece of technology, tornado cast to, to get funding. And, and that's very problematic, right? Uh, you know, North, you know, and so, I think that's uh, a, a large motivator. I won't say all of it, but uh, you can't know for sure. But I think that's a big piece of it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it, um, you know, this has to go to the courts, obviously. But like this would set a horrible precedent, right? It would say it would kind of allow this stretching of the term money transmission, and it would really expand the reach of these KYC AML laws to to practically every non custodial privacy privacy tool. And if you think about that. You know, maybe that even includes atomic swaps, right? Maybe it includes mm-hmm. non-custodial DEXs, yeah. right? And I think this like this logic that a non-custodial service has to implement KYC AML without prior precedent or legal impetus for this is is just this absurd claim. But it would all mm-hmm. but but if it got 
pushed through the courts, like it would have this very, it would have a very negative impact on DeFi. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember when this first came out, uh, this was months ago, right? Um, one of the founders got uh, put in jail, Alex, I believe, who resided, resides in, in the Netherlands. He got put in jail and then released, I think, on bail. Um, and we brought on, uh, you know, we talked about it in the regulatory episodes. We will talk about it you know, when we have, um, you know, Rebecca and Jake back again um, around what is the precedent, right? As you mentioned, like wh- where is that placed in other DeFi apps? Um, and I think that's uh, sometimes, yeah. sometimes, you know, they go after a specific kind of the, this feels certainly more on the edge, right? Which is, you know, closer to enabling like just laundering and, and just, you know, uh, funds, if you will. Um, but, but then that sets a really bad precedent for some like, you know, Uniswap and other AMAMs and whatnot. So, yeah, it has unintended consequences, second order effects. I think it will be heavily, you know, argued in court and uh, probably peeled back to yeah. some extent, as a hope yeah. at least. I think it, yeah, Here, here's my, just maybe my concluding thoughts on this is that I think that it comes down to whether or not you believe technology itself is morally neutral or is a good or a bad thing. And for me, I think technology itself is morally neutral, right? It can be used for good or for bad, depending on the intentions and the actions of the people who create and use it. And I don't think developers of technology are, you know, are inherently evil or, or, or good oftentimes. And I think that the responsibility mm-hmm. lies with those who tr- choose to use technology unethically, right? For example, like a cyber criminal who hacks into a private data is more culpable than the programmer who made the hacking tools. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of people might bring up the Oppenheimer example with nuclear technology. There's, I wouldn't get the, I don't think the person who pioneered nuclear energy, nuclear energy is inherently evil. Maybe someone who creates bombs might, or who drops bombs might be evil, but someone who creates, uses nuclear energy for, to power a city is, is a good person. Or maybe you could also look at algorithms, right? Developers who, who create algorithms to maximize engagement They're I wouldn't say they're, you know, they're, they're evil, but maybe companies that have, that enable algorithms to spread misinformation, I would say they're not doing a good thing, but then there are also yeah. companies that use algorithms in a good way. So, um, the key is, uh, intent and motive. And I yeah. think that's what's going to be the point here in the defense and, and, and the argument in court, which is um, you could argue in the, that the motivation here was to have privacy. And, and I think, you know, reasonably speaking, you, you want to have privacy. You have privacy in the financial system. Like it is vital to, to be able to, to have the, the possibility to have privacy in a, in a, in, in a crypto context. Um, and, and that is, uh, I think, I think that, uh, is 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 a valid defense um and so yeah we'll see i think it's going to be very interesting how this gets um interpreted and 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 you know resolved in court if you will yeah yeah i'm in this i'm in this chat with some different crypto founders and one of them posted this thing that i was i've I've been thinking about this morning which is it makes a he said it makes a lot of us in this industry who are agnostic to the use cases of the technology we build think twice about whether we could potentially be scapegoats if a bad actor uses such technology for evil this then limits innovation. Um, yeah. And I th- I've just been thinking about that this morning. So. Yeah, absolutely.
Everyone, we'll get back to Empire in just a minute, but before we do that, I wanna let you know that we have Permissionless coming up. Permissionless is big conference that Blockworks and Bankless put on together. It is the biggest, the best DeFi conference in crypto. This year, it is in Austin, Texas, September 11th through 13th. If you've been in crypto for a while, you know that bear market conferences are the best kind of conferences. We have a phenomenal lineup of speakers. A lot of the guests that you hear on Empire are both going to be speaking there. You will have the opportunity to meet them there. And a lot of the topics that we cover on Empire, ZK Tech, Rollups, Account Abstraction, MEV, App Chain Thesis, a lot of that kind of stuff that will all be discussed at Permissionless this year. So because you are a listener of Empire, you get a special discount. That's right. Santi and I negotiated with our marketing team. You get 30% off if you go to blockworks.com forward slash permissionless. Empire 30 is going to get you 30% off your ticket. Today, when I'm recording this, that's about $300 off your ticket. So type in Empire 30 when buying your permissionless ticket, you get about 300 bucks off. Click the link at the bottom of this episode. It's in the show notes. Do it quickly because prices go up all the time. And if you are going to permissionless, hit me up, let me know, shoot me a DM on Twitter. I would love to meet up with you there. All right, let's look at the, the Coinbase Circle deal. So pretty exciting announcement between uh, Jeremy Allaire and Brian Armstrong, really Circle and Coinbase this week, which is that Coinbase has now taken a stake in Circle uh, and quote, commits to the long-term success of USDC. So if you remember, uh, USDC was actually created by this consortium um, or I guess this partnership between Circle and Coinbase a couple of years ago. Uh, now Coinbase has actually uh, has bought an equity stake in Circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a couple of changes that come from that. First, uh, with this new approach to the partnership, the two are shuttering the center consortium, which is this group that I mentioned, this governance group that was created five years ago uh, to oversee USDC. And uh, Circle is actually bringing the governance and the operations of USDC in-house. Uh, so that's that's one big update. The second update is that uh, USDC is now going to launch on six new chains. Uh, so they're on a couple of chains right now. Between September and October, USDC is going to launch on Base, uh, Near, Optimism, Polkadot, Polygon, and I Polygon. think Cosmos. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, pretty. I don't know. Pretty exciting. Um, yeah, pretty exciting for Circle and 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 for Coinbase. <laughs> Yeah, I think there was also a piece of like the net interest income that they receive um, being split. Ah, um, yeah. Let me read that because that, that was actually was very bullish. Coin, bullish for Coinbase. Right. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So let me yeah. here, let me pull this up yeah. somewhere. Uh, the, the here I got it right here. The revenue will continue to be shared based on the amount of USDC held on each of our platforms, and additionally, we will now equally share an interest income generated from the broader distribution and usage of USDC. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the comp here is tether. tether is Tether is one of the largest holders of treasuries in the world, more so than a lot of sovereigns. I mean, I think it's a top ten holder. Holds more treasuries in like certain countries, and it is. Uh, I think their latest reporting. I mean, it, it is making a sizable amount of of yield on on those treasuries, and so in a similar manner, you can think about, you know, that being an important line item in Coinbase's financials at the time. The the thing that some people might argue is the the dominance of USDC has gone down. And I don't really know or can explain that candidly. I don't know if you've seen some analysis to 
point to as to why that is, but certainly like the USDC is a percentage of like all stable coins has gone down. Tether continues to go up. Um, and so maybe this is, um, you know, them launching in six different chains, um, reignites their growth and, and their kind of position in the broader stablecoin market. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know why it's been going down, but but I agree. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. that I'm surprised Coinbase's stock hasn't changed, or that the outlook for Q3 is unchanged here. Between yeah, between uh, base between this announcement and base, God, imagine like. <laughs> well, I mean, this goes back to the point of. I fundamentally believe the markets are not efficient, and yeah. that sometimes. And you would argue we're more connected now. There's access to information more so than ever before. But sometimes things go, uh, you know, the, the coverage that you get. One, a lot of the market is passive, right? Like you have a growing share of just flows going through passive mutual funds like Fidelities of the world that are not very actively managed. And, and they're not paying, maybe they're not paying attention to it or, and or they don't understand the full story. Um, and so it's sort of like, what do you believe in that others don't, what do you understand that others yeah. don't? And so, uh, I mean, a full disclosure, I've been, I've been, I've been looking at Coinbase stock for a while. Um, uh, I have exposure to it. I think it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, and then, and then it, it rallied a ton once bow post, which is one of the smartest, I think guys out there. We think about smart guys in the room, like Seth Klarman, incredibly smart. Um, he heads up Bow Post and they bought the bonds and they were trading at like, they, they dipped all the way to 40 cents on the dollar. Now they're trading at like 62 cents. Uh, Coinbase is now tendering those bonds. I think they have a billion bonds outstanding, the three and a quarter coupon. They're tendering, which means they want to buy back those bonds at like 67 cents and they're not getting any interest uh, hmm. from investors. And so, not surprising. I mean, I think this these are sort of things. Of course, credit story is different than equity story. Like owning a bond is very different than owning a stock. But, um, but yeah, I think um, I, I think this is a prime example of the market may sometimes just does not understand the story. Yeah, and it goes through like not just not just crypto, by the way. Just to, over time, there have been pockets of 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 the market that are just not understood by analysts. You can argue yeah. nuclear has gone through that phase. I, I still so think really, yeah, I still think Wall Street thinks of Coinbase as just a crypto exchange. And they think about yeah, Wall Street as a crypto like, exchange look, uh, where we're, we're in a world where volume fees is are going down, down a ton. Yeah. Yeah. The fees are going down, volume is down, it's in a bear market, there's no interest, which is true, but they don't appreciate, you know, maybe the business model just goes through an entire transformation where it becomes more of, you know, fees attached to subscriptions and you know base and sequencer revenue and um and that uh an interest income from uh the stable coin right and so right. that uh that just changes right and so, so anyways so i have a i have a maybe a personal question for you i don't know if you're comfortable sharing this when you mm -hmm. buy like when you buy coinbase and you're talking about these bonds like do you buy the bonds do you buy the stock do you like how do you think mm -hmm. about that well, that's a great question i mean it depends on the price it really fundamentally do. I, I'm of the mind, and I truly believe I ascribe to Howard Marks, which is the founder of Oak Tree. His whole thinking is price is the big determinant. You could buy a great company at a terrible price, makes for a bad investment. You could buy a terrible company at a great price, makes for a fantastic investment. And so um, I started looking more closely at Coinbase when, when it dipped to like close to 30 bucks. 
32 bucks, 33 bucks, and the bonds were like really going. You know, when there's an excessive amount of negativity and everyone's calling for like, you know, something's dead, I just go to that and I pay attention to that. And that was what ultimately led to Coinbase. The question that I've always asked over time, people, is as, a, as you think about interest in this space, um, how are people going to allocate in their portfolio if they want crypto exposure? Absent an ETF, Coinbase is uh, an important avenue to do that. Um, and and so if you, as I think about my overall crypto portfolio, Coinbase is an interesting, an interesting way to get exposure to just how the overall market will play. Um, they're them wanting crypto exposure. Um, and so, so yeah, that was, um, I, I didn't buy the bonds. Um, I've just haven't been a credit guy my entire life. Uh, <laughs> I thought they were interesting. I talked to a bunch of other folks around it. Uh, my rationing was my back then was I'd rather just have exposure to the equity. Hmm. And I didn't actually un- invest directly in the equity. I think I mentioned this in a prior episode. I, I did it through like a, a, complex structure where it's called like a phoenix note it's quite quite popular and and basically um it's like a structured note where i'm getting paid a very high coupon with a barrier so that essentially says like today the price is at 70 bucks right and you say okay i'm gonna it gets issued today you have downside protection meaning if the stock doesn't go down 30 percent or 40 percent you're getting paid a quarterly coupon and at the end of in six months, it can be called. It's usually a year of maturity, and so what happens if the price of Coinbase stays within a range of the strike, like the issue price and, and the and the barrier, which is lower, then you get paid that coupon. If it dips below that, then you actually get settled in shares and you end up owning Coinbase it's like shares. An, it's right? Like an option. Yeah, but you're getting paid a super high coupon because it's a very volatile name. So the coupon yeah. on this thing is like 30, 40, 50 percent. So what is that? So my thinking was, and just this is a strategy that I've been deploying in my entire portfolio, which is I'm not like, do I like it at this price? I don't know. But would I like it 30% lower? Absolutely. And in the meantime, if I'm getting paid a really high coupon, I just cut cost average my way down. And this is something that I've played around in, uh, for the last year and a half because generally I'm uneasy where equities are trading. And so I, it's a great way to get income. Hmm. While also potentially, if it dips below that, I just think my margin of safety, going back to what Seth Klarman talks about, like I love the possibility of just owning something 20, 30, 40% lower than what it is now. If I don't end up owning it, I still get a really high coupon. Great. Um, and so I minimize kind of my opportunity cost. Hmm, that's smart. I always thought Phoenix notes were uh, like the, were a type of bond that was issued by a company emerging from bankruptcy, but I might be wrong there. No. Well, this might be out. Interesting. All right, that's that's good to know. Um, I've an, I've another question for you on Coinbase. For reminder, that none of this is financial advice. Yeah, yeah, much. right. Well, I have another question for you here. Why? What are the main reasons why a company would buy back their bonds? Well, because they're buying it at the you know if they if they issued a nominal like at a dollar, right? The principal right. is a billion, but they're buying back like they're they're repaying that debt and they're essentially like saving three hundred million bucks. Right. Like you're buying that debt at a discount, you're you're terminating that, so you effectively got you know thirty percent for free. 
It's a real yeah. low coupon, to be fair. Yeah. Like it's paying like three and a quarter. If they were to issue those bonds again, they were not. That coupon would be much, much, much higher. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, they issued yeah. those bonds right when they were going public. Oh, there's a lot of interest. In yeah, that makes like sense. Yeah, they get to reduce the debt. They get to reduce the yeah. future interest costs, manage the bond maturities, kind of. Yeah, it also probably sends a kind of signals a strong signal. strength to the market. Um, yeah, it helps increase yeah. earning, like future earnings by retiring the bond. Uh, but if you retire yeah, but you retire debt at a at a at sixty cents on the dollar. Well, you just got a bunch of money for free. Yeah, yeah, hmm. interesting. Um, all right, last last cool thing that happened this week: um, Shopify enabled USDC payments via Solana Pay integration. Um, there was a good tweet by a Circle guy. Hold on, let me pull this up. Yeah, which basically talks about like the, or, the, or the percentage of fees. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Charged. Patrick Hansen. So Patrick Hansen Patrick, yeah. is a director of EU strategy and policy at Circle. So he said Shopify accounts for 10%, which is a, just a crazy number, 10% of total uh, US e-commerce and 440, uh, $444 billion worth of global economic activity. The average cost per transaction using Solana Pay and USDC is 0. 0.00. Oh, two, five. So yeah, we're looking demands. at 0.025 cents uh, versus roughly 2% credit card fees on Shopify, which if anyone's ever used Shopify before, it's usually more like uh, three to 4%. So yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty yeah. interesting. What, what do you think? What do you make of this? Because if Absolutely. you remember, this was a, I feel like I've seen this before, right? I feel like, I, do you remember in 2018 when Coinbase turned on like e-commerce stuff and they launched crypto payments. And so the, my first thing was like, yeah, I've seen this before. But then my second thing was, yeah, but in 2018, we didn't have tens of billions yeah. of dollars of stable coins outstanding. Right. It was, no right. one was buying right. things in, in Bitcoin and ETH, right? You didn't now even have uh, USDC back then, I believe. Right, right. So yeah. I think actually 2018 no, might have been the it's year. Hugely bullish. Yeah, so it is, it is. I'm well, not, look, I think... Uh, the question is, the skeptic here might say, well, com, com, like merchants are not going to want this thing called stablecoin, USDC. But I think over time, that's just going to prove to be, I think the adoption of USDC is incredibly bullish. Payments is something that we've all, is one of those areas that is easy to dismiss to your point because it hasn't worked before. Like Coinbase Commerce shut down, it didn't get enough steam and but I think credibly payments with stablecoins should be a massive component of of crypto usage and adoption. Like it's just it's just people wanting to not hold local currencies because of the volatility um, and they want to have dollars. Well, you can do that very easily with stablecoins, basically a digital dollar. USDC is held like there's a dollar that is held in a bank account. We get comfortable with Coinbase and how they do it and the counterparty risk. Well, you know, it's it's back dollar for dollar in a bank account like it's. And they publish a reserve. They publish kind of who their counterparties are. And so I think mm. it's very interesting. Um, I think to your point, a lot of times it is important to revisit things that you were bullish on and your thesis from back. And because something hasn't worked before, it doesn't mean it won't work again, particularly how fast technology changes. And, and the environment is different this time. And so I think uh, certainly like with Solana versus ETH, um, uh, you know, it, the, the, the transaction fees are very, very low. One of the biggest criticisms uh, back then before Solana and Ethereum was, well, wait a minute, like gas fees are really high. And then that 2%, 3%, while true, it's actually in certain instances, the gas fee on the layer one was very high, eight bucks, nine bucks, 12 bucks. And the spikes really made it difficult, right? 
to see a wor- world where you would have billions of e-commerce flow going through an L1. Well, now you have an L2, and now you have high, you know, a, a cheaper environment like Solana. Well, okay, well that's that's very different. Where you're not only a parity, you're actually way below that two three percent mm. per transaction. So on the on the ab- absolute cost, and so that's quite different. Yeah. Here would be my skeptics take. My skeptics take is that um, the if you look at the 3% fees that Shopify takes or 2% fees that Shopify takes, we're all assuming that that is a, an infrastructure cost, right? We're all assuming that the infrastructure that they have, uh, those 2% fees go to covering the technology, hardware, software, personnel, infrastructure costs required to operate a payments network. And by using USDC or crypto, you bring down those infrastructure costs. There's a bucket though that it those fee, there's there's another big bucket though that I think people in crypto maybe don't talk about, which is the risk fees, and these are the fees that account for a significant portion, I think, of what of that of the payment fees of the two percent, because when a financial institution takes on payments, they're also taking on the risk and liability of processing uh, processing those payments, right? And so like the you, settlement, right? The settlement rate, it but also like uh, the risk, fee, the like two or three percent fees help cover the costs related to things like fraud prevention, verification, yep. uh, payment yep. reversals, chargebacks, uh, things like that. And so that is that is not something that this solves, right? So well, no, hold on there. It actually does, right? Because it, these transactions are absolute; like they're they're settled. The finality is there. Like when you think about fraud, like you like no, it doesn't happen. Like what is like basically not a primer. This is not. I see what you're saying. You can't call up Bank of America like, and say this was like a interchange scale. fees. Yeah. Like the whole the whole banking system is is a, is a clusterfuck of patchwork of things that have been developed since the '60s and just put together. And you keep adding on top of this patchwork that is highly inefficient and the communications slow and the settlement slow and so all of that introduces risk, right? But think about like when 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 you're paying, you're swiping your credit card. The merchant doesn't get the money immediately. And these, you know, your credit card pays them net 20 and at 30, depending on the size of the merchant. And then what happens on the back end is sort of these two banks need to talk to each other, make sure you have your money and all this sort of stuff. That's where there's incredible amount of fees, interchange fee and merchant fee and all these sort of things to cover for these possible risks and also just processing yeah. overhead. But when you're settling a stable coin, like it's like you're transferring a stable coin. There's no very, like, yeah, it's there's final. no, there's no KYC. There's finality. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. there's well, you could have KYC. That's separate. But the reality is, like, there's no fraud. Like, there's no, like, it, it's sort of the settlement is instantaneous or near instantaneous and it's final. And the working capital component for Metrons is also hugely impactful. Like, you're getting that money immediately. So, anyways, there's a whole host of things why settling and stable from your merchant. Very interesting. I think there is a, a category in crypto that will emerge, which is the reward component by using these this mechanism. Um, you know, right now you don't get points if you're using your USDC. But I think there's an opportunity for someone to come in here and say, hey, we're going to give you points if you're using USDC um, if, you're, if you're settling on this, right? And presumably a merchant might give you a discount. Because why? Because instead of compared to when they would much rather get the stablecoin, right? If they have a very clear, like if they can swap USDC for dollars very quickly on Coinbase, if you're the merchant, or you're getting that money immediately, you're not waiting 20, 30 days to get that money from American Express or Visa. And if that's the case, then they should just issue you, Jason, 
you're swiping with a Gnosis Save card, right, Visa, and you're <laughs> immediately transferring that USDC to the merchant, the working capital, like the present value of that is higher. And so they can offer you a discount, right? Some reward or whatever. And so that that whole category is going to probably, is nascent, but I think will become more and more important to incentivize people to use this mechanism because the merchant would much rather get that money uh, immediately. It's hugely beneficial. Small businesses get crushed by credit card. This is why yep. the famous Amex doesn't work in Europe because or they only take, mm. like because Amex is notoriously known for really having bad terms, especially for smaller merchants, which need yeah. it the most. The working capital piece makes or breaks your operation. So anyways, this is going to be yeah. very important for e-commerce, I think. Yeah, little secret. They do take Amex. They just get crushed on the fees too much. Yeah, yeah, they, they do. They do. Like they, they, do. they have a terminal. They, they just don't they want do you to use it. They rather, they just, they just they, much rather use you Visa or pay cash, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot there, of people there, want just cash actually, because they want to obfuscate. Uh, there's actually an amazing, the best piece I've read about this is by David Marcus, who was head of Messenger at Facebook yeah. and then became head of Novi and was running their pay, uh, was running their stablecoin and then left to build this thing in uh, the lightning space. We should actually really have David on, but he wrote a piece in 2019 called... Uh, why building a new protocol for money is the only way to truly change the game for people. It's a quick read. It was like five minutes. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link it in the show notes here. Um, but if you really think about the payments, I mean, I, I, I'm very excited by this because I think the payments narrative has been dead for years. And I think it's coming back now that USDC and stablecoins are a big thing. And if you look at the current payment system, it's so broken, right? Existing networks like ACH and SWIFT, they're built in the 70s, 55 years ago, yeah. and they're closed to outsiders. Wallets, right? Venmo, Cash App. They're not connected. They literally don't talk to each other. Uh, moving money from country to country takes too much time, too much money, too high fees. Merchant fees, crazy. Um, and I think uh, stablecoins really do fix that. Yep. So, Santi, man, good to be back. It's great to be back, yeah. Any uh, Anything else that we should cover? Any books, documentaries? Watching this documentary on Netflix about um, cold callers, uh, the first uh, Are you really telemarketing, the first telemarketing oh, business. God. Yeah, it's like it's not something I want. It is a sad. Yeah, the two things I was like, the two things I had lined up were like that, and then the the Jared from Subway documentary, where he ends up oh, really? being like a you know I, like a child abuser. I think it was. I was like, oh man, oh, these really? are, yeah, I'm going right. down two dark rabbit holes here. What's um, going on? Then? Yeah, I but no, I told you, I've been getting, I've been watching on. like. Uh, Fellow media company, Hodinkee. I've been like, well, I've probably watched a hundred hours of Hodinkee things. Mm. Like every talking watches, every like all the John Mayer interviews. They just did this great thing with Ed Sheeran. Uh, I've been going yeah, going yeah. deep into the Hodinkee rabbit hole. Nice. Yeah, yeah, Chrono 24 is another big company in the space. They, they just raised, they've been around for a while. They raised yeah. some capital from General Atlantic. And I feel, I think General Atlantic, but then most recently Cristiano Ronaldo, which is, you know. It's interesting. Hodinkee is this really, I mean, from a media company perspective, I like studying them. They did over a hundred million in revenue last year. They no, started watch blog and then they launched uh, the marketplace actually. So it's this really interesting yeah, so you can like evolution of like media into e-commerce, which other folks like, uh, you know, meat eater did a hundred million mm -hmm. in revenue. They're like a blog into e-commerce food 52 does a shit ton of revenue just yeah, selling like yeah, pots yeah. and pans and stuff. They started as a food blog. So they, they're, they're all churn and group companies, churn and groups best in the world at doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what are you reading? Amazing. What are you watching? I, I'm looking at my Kindle right now. I'm reading anatomy of a breakthrough. Um, so far I'm like third of the way out. Interesting. I wouldn't say like earth shattering. Um, 
it's about like how to get unstuck and like you know if you have writer's block or you know found like i don't know it's it's interesting um and then i read mr china i think i mentioned this before it's a book that it was like you know written by a guy who was one of the first pioneers in the 90s and early, like turn of the century raising huge amounts of money in the u.s to go invest like private equity money to invest in chinese businesses and basically got rugged um like raised i think over billions of dollars and just mm. like into a bunch of stuff that end up working. Oh, was this about um, Tim Tim Clissold, the British guy? I believe guy? so. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So it was like highly recommended. And, uh, it was just, uh, I'm fascinated by China. I've read a bunch of stuff on it um, from Kissinger's book, a few others, and just understanding the psychology. It's a very different market. And so I don't pretend to understand it. I don't speak Mandarin, and but but I am fascinated by it. Um, mm. I think it's uh, I think it's a big, Obviously, what they're doing in crypto is is interesting now. That like the, the the West seems to be like taking a more dogmatic stance to, to this technology, whereas now China, Hong Kong, Singapore, like the, the East in general has been more um, is taking a, a more pro stance. Um, statistically speaking, I think we ought to be seeing more projects come out of the region, but we haven't, at least not to my understanding. But I think there are some interesting funds and people out there that um, you know that are. Like mm. scroll, for instance, and step in, like all these products yeah. are based out there. So, yeah, I'm really fascinated by it. I think always studying Asian markets would have been highly beneficial for for a lot of people that were dismissive or were thought it was just copycat nations. But I think it's very important, um, particularly like how they've totally leapfrogged, like in the fintech space, like how people interact and how they just the way commerce happens there. Like WeChat, actually another great book, um, the story of WeChat hmm. or Tencent, like very interesting. And so anyways, I'm always kind of curious about books that talk about the region to, to get an insider perspective uh, and, and better understanding. So this one was good. Not, I expected more because it was so hyped, but it, it was fun to read. You know, a book I just read that you would love is uh, The Dream of Salomeo by Brunello Cuc- uh, Cuccinelli. Oh, I've heard about this one. Yeah, you'd really like it. You'd really like it. So I just read that. Basically transformed an entire town. Yeah, transformed Salomeo. And uh, yeah, yeah. He, it's like he's all about like humanistic capitalism, um, which is this kind of fluffy thing, I think, oftentimes when like US folks talk about it, but he's he's done it well. So it also helps yeah. that he can sell a scarf for $8,000. So it's crazy. Yeah, that brand <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pricey. Pricey. Um, All right, man. That's awesome. Good. Well, it was a good, good roundup. Job. Welcome back, sir. It's good, oh, good to be shit. back, folks. I forgot to say, we're hiring engineers and salespeople. I was supposed to say that at the very beginning. If you're still <laughs> listening at this point, you hopefully <laughs> like Blockworks enough. We're hiring salespeople and we're hiring engineers. Uh, full stack. Is, it, is this a lot for the research uh, platform? Um, we're hiring engineers both on the editorial side of the business and uh, to make our media site better. And then also on the research um, cool. analytics and governance side. We're launching this big thing in three weeks at Permissionless. Um, we're really scaling up that platform. Uh, and then we're hiring on the sales side for advertising and sponsorships. So if you want to you know, work with Coinbase's CMO to help them you know, advertise across our platforms, that's a, that's a good one. Great. Cool. That's awesome. All right, yeah, folks. Man. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, as always, drop your comments if you want us to talk about something or you don't like uh, X or Y. 
Uh, otherwise, we'll be back. Santi we'll loves those this. YouTube comments. <laughs> I do. I, I actually, I spend an enormous amount of time looking at comments. <laughs> you read every. You got to start commenting on them. No, of course. I feel not. like it really impacts your day. You're like, someone's like, "Oh, Santi had a bad haircut." You're like, "This is why." You think I'm gonna go on friend tech and see my price collapse? Like, I'll have a mental <laughs> breakdown. I, I'm still having mental breakdowns out here reading comments, but. uh uh, so I'm not prepared to go in front of that kid. No. Brave New no. World, man. Yeah, not Brave yet. New World. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. All right. All right. Take care, everyone.